Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, you can learn more about the podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all the exciting episodes that we have coming up in the future. Today, we are excited to welcome Adam Schoenfeld. Now, you might not know his name, but I can guarantee you that you know his guitar playing. He grew up in New Jersey and started playing guitar at around the age of five. And from then on, it was game over. That is all that he wanted to do. After high school, he moved to Nashville with some friends to chase the rock star life. Now that didn't exactly work out with that band, but along the way, things turned into things and meeting one person turned into meeting another person. And Adam built a strong career around session playing. He has actually played on every one of Jason Aldean's records. And back in the day before Jason had a record deal, him and Adam were actually offered a deal as a duo. Now that obviously didn't happen and we'll find out why during our conversation, but Adam has also been the touring guitarist for Tim McGraw for the past 10 years. And aside from doing all the work for other artists, he also has a number of other projects that help to feed his love of all genres of music. And that includes the release of his solo debut album. It's been an amazing journey and there's been so many highlights. We tried to hit on just a few of them. So please enjoy our conversation with Adam Schoenfeld. So how many do you have? What does your oh, collection entail? Uh, may, maybe, maybe up to 50 like that. Maybe somewhere in that range. I don't know. I, I kind of lost count. Yeah, I was going to ask you later, but I'll ask you now. Are you a guitar snob? Like, does it matter no. how the guitar feels to you? No? Well, yeah. I mean, it matters how it feels to me. Um, as far as that goes, I'm a snob. But as far as like having like the oldest, most expensive, you know, sought after guitar, no. I mean, my Desert Island, one of my Desert Island guitars, I got a couple, it cost me a dollar. And really? if, I had, if I had to buy one now, it'd probably be 1200 bucks, you know? And the little one that your parents got you when you were four, is that still kicking around by chance? You know what? I think the body is somewhere, but it is messed up because it was a little acoustic. And then several years later, as a kid, I took all the electronics from my first electric and tried to screw them into the acoustic. <laughs> I don't remember why, you know. That's awesome. I want to talk about that early part of your journey because i think that's so fascinating how guitar like took hold for you at such a young age and i've heard you talk about the fact that your parents weren't overly musical you know they listen to music but they didn't necessarily play but you had uh grandpa and uncles who were more in the jazz realm yeah, so wow, you did your research yeah. yes yes i love my research and so did they influence the musicality within you at all? Or was it more just the records that your parents were playing that really caught your attention? I think my grandfather, so my uncles were the jazzers. Um, one was upright bass, one was piano. And uh, my grandfather was more classical piano. Right. Uh, while they weren't like immediate influences on me, I always remembered um, my grandfather playing piano at his house and also doing forehands piano uh, with my great aunt. And um, my uncles, 
you know, the way they inspired me was my piano playing uncle bought me a Kevin Eubanks record when before he was the host of the Late Show Band or the, oh, okay. the, the Late Show Band. Um, so more inspired me that way. So uh, but but yeah, I would say mostly the music I, I had around at the house for sure really is what did it. Like Peter Frampton Comes Alive and Beatles records and Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life. Those records my parents had, you know, so they, they were always, always spinning those. And your parents bought you a guitar at four or five because of how you were jumping around and playing air guitar to those records. And so at this point in your life, do you still remember that feeling that you had back then? A little bit, because, you know, what I gravitated towards uh, when I was younger, I think on those records was actually the sound of the audience was kind of the first thing that, that hooked me. Frampton Comes Alive, that record, you know, I remember the sound of that audience kind of got in me as much as the music did. And my father brought home a record. It was uh, Eric Clapton, Just One Night, a live record. Oh, okay. You know? And I, I could recite the the moments, you know, where he called out a band member and the audience made a noise just as much as I could, The, you know, the singing and the, and the music. So. And so these days, I mean, we'll get more into it later, but with the session playing and with the live playing, is there a real like disconnect between those two things and the feelings that you get between both of them? Not really a disconnect. I, I wouldn't say that. I, you know, I know I'm having a good time in the studio when, when my butt's coming off the chair and I'm playing the <laughs> solo and I'm jumping around, you know, and the song gets done. I look around going, did anyone see that? You know, <laughs> uh, I can feel it just as much, you know, um, there, there becomes a routine to both. Um, live you're playing the same songs every night so sometimes you go through the motions right you know you're playing very similar songs sometimes day after day because it's that's just the nature of the beast so sometimes you get fall into that and and sometimes you really feel it no matter what you're doing right and on the music creation side i wanted to talk to you in the early days of when you first started playing and you had a tascom four track cassette recorder that I read, you basically locked yourself up in your room when you were young and created music with that. Talk about that time and how music was starting to make you feel when you were actually able to create it on your own. Oh man, it was an addiction. It it really was. I, I would, if I was home during the day, if there was no school, if it was summer, I'd go downstairs to the kitchen, I'd grab a sleeve of saltine crackers, <laughs> and a tall glass of orange juice, and I'd bring it back up to my room and I would just build tracks. I would bounce tracks, track after track on that four track to where I have like 16 tracks. I had a, a Lisa's HR 16 drum machine and I was totally into Ingve and Steve Vai and all that stuff. So I was tapping and, you know, I've got all these harmonized tapping parts and my technique, it, had I continued with that kind of music, you know, by the time I was 30, my technique would have been through the roof, but <laughs> Fortunately and unfortunately, I got in the session world where you didn't need that technique. So it kind of fell to the wayside, you know. And do you have any of like, were you recording to tape at that point or how did that work? Yeah, well, so that was those were cassette recorders. Right. So I have all of those. Do you? I have I have the two mixes of them and I have the masters. And every once in a while, I haven't I haven't pulled the trigger, but I've gotten on eBay so many times looking for the exact task cams because a couple of them they had different speeds. So they, oh, okay. they wouldn't, you know, so I've been, I had looked for the one. I just never pulled the trigger. That would be 
really a, a long process to take all those tapes and put them into Pro Tools, which I'd love to do to preserve them. But yeah, what a job, you know. And it would be awesome. You have your debut album out now, but in future works, you could take that and sample it to some oh, of your current work. That'd idea. be awesome. That's a great idea. I never even thought about that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome. And so let's talk about the guitar playing from about age five to age 14. It was guitar, guitar lessons. During that time, did it come natural for you? Or did you really have to work during that time to hone that craft? Well, you know, I don't remember. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't completely easy, but I loved it so much. It didn't matter. Right. You know, that, that just kind of overshadowed it. I, there was nothing that was going to stop me playing guitar so I, I really don't remember if it was difficult I'd, I'd have to ask my uh, old guitar teacher Scott Pensack he might remember so <laughs> and you started writing at the age of 14 now how did that kind of how did it move into that as a guitar player you're more based around the music right so how did it evolve into the songwriting at 14 boy I, I again wow what a great question <laughs> you know um you know, I guess it happened the way it still happens, which is that's completely naturally. You know, you, you get inspired by something. And I think if you have music in you and you have words or a thought or emotion come to you, you almost can't help but put it into a poem or, and which or is a song, you know, same thing. So, yeah, I, I Boy, I can't remember yesterday. So that's a hard <laughs> question. <laughs> and at that age, when you're getting into the songwriting now, you're really getting into the playing. At 14, was it something where you thought, I want this to be my career? Or did you really know what that looked like at the end of the day? Yeah, I think at that point, um, I knew I wanted to do it. There, there was a brief period around the time I, I was 11 years old that I stopped playing just for about a year. But I remember when I picked it back up, it was on, you know, and, and, and when I was young, I thought, you know, all, all I could see is I want to make a living making music. You went through different realms. There was metal bands. There was jazz in high school, I believe. There was a couple of different shifts that you made along the way. So as it was going, was there a certain type of music that was really influencing you? Or were you just pulling sort of from every direction as you're in every direction, every direction? And, and it's maintained that, you know, that thing, you know, so high school, there was it was a great high school I went to. It was a private high school in my hometown, but the music department had amazing instructors from all different genres. And there was a music library of all different genres. Um, I had friends that were turning me on to U2. I was still in a metal band, people that were, you know, turning me on to Slayer and King Diamond. Uh, then I was getting turned on to John Coltrane and, and another great record my dad had that I heard as a kid was Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. So it was always around me. And for my senior project in, in high school, and I was trying to get a scholarship at Berkeley College of Music, oh, okay. I did a jazz composition. You know, because instead of a regular band where I played trumpet or something in high school, we had a jazz rock ensemble. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that consisted of a drummer, bass player, keyboard player, and some horn players. And those were all the students and me on guitar and then the instructors. So it was, it was just a broad, broad spectrum of music. And even in the last five years, I've had my kind of punk 
rock band called Digital Brains, which is more the, the Foo Fighters inspired. I've had Suncat with Katie, which is really kind of comes across as a 70s California country-ish, almost Americana. It would be country. And then my stuff, which I have no idea where that fits. <laughs> I'm cool with it, you know. That's awesome. And so when high school finished, was there a point where you almost went the college university route before life pulled you to Nashville? Um, well, almost in like a blink of an eye. I applied to Berkeley College of Music. That was the only college I applied to. I got accepted and they gave me either 250 or $500 financial aid. That was it. Okay. And I went, all right, well, that was my decision made for me. I'm not going. So, you know, I spent almost a year in my hometown in a band and working and then ended up moving to Nashville. Yeah. And that was when you moved to Nashville, you're in the Nathan Lee band. And one of the members, I don't think it was Nathan, but one of the members had gone to Nashville, had talked to a management company, a manager, and he says, we're going to make you stars. So come to Nashville. Yes. Now for you, when you heard that, was it an instant? Yeah, let's go. Or did it take you some time to kind of get into that? No, it was, it was exciting. We were all excited. And so what did the move look like? Like, did your parents just say, okay, see ya, go chase your dreams? Yeah. I mean, I was already out of high school. I was 19, so they couldn't stop me if they wanted to, uh, but they wouldn't have tried. Uh, you know, it, literally the picture is Justin, uh, Justin Tucker, who's a brilliant producer and engineer now. Uh, he's the band member that knew the manager he was back up in Pennsylvania, right across the river from me. And when I moved down, I was in a black Nissan Sentra and he was in a silver Nissan Sentra. And we were side by side on, on the interstate the whole way. I was tossing him homemade cookies that I think my friend Kim or my mom made. You know, <laughs> my car was packed up. My crutches were here because I'd sprained my foot. And oh, we were wow. tossing, you know, it was great. It was awesome. So, and then most of the band, we all lived together in one house in East Nashville. And uh, it was like $500 for the rent. So we all had under a hundred dollars in rent. <laughs> you can't do that now. So. No, no. I'm surprised you could do that then even. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And so at that point, did you know what a career in music looked like? Or were you guys just like flying by the seat of your pants? No. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know at all. You know, I, I, I wanted to be a rock star, you know, um, and all the other stuff kind of just came day after day, the, w- the way it happened, it just unfolded, you know, but no, I really didn't have a picture. I, I just wanted to play guitar and, and sing songs. And I find it interesting that like growing up, you talk about your influences and really country is nowhere to be found and you're in this rock influence band and wanting to be a rock star, but you guys decide to move to Nashville. Like, was there ever a thought to go to a rock city or somewhere else? Like, did you guys think, why are we going to a country town at this point? You know, it never crossed my mind, honestly. Um, I think we had this overwhelming thought as did people before us and still after us until Kings of Leon happened. We all thought we're going to be the guys that break out of Nashville as a rock band. Okay. It wasn't, we can't go there because it's country. It was just, we'll we'll be the ones to break out of there. You know? 
<laughs> That's awesome. And so one of the big things that changed things for you was you got a job at Woodland Studios in East Nashville. Now, during that time, like, were you focused on a band career or a solo career? Or at that point, you had been in Nashville a couple of years. Did you have a vision yet of what a career in music looked like? Man, I still didn't. I, and I still don't. Right. <laughs> um, man, no, it was I was all over the map, you know, because anything that would come my way to play for somebody, whether it paid or not, I thought was a great opportunity and I would try to do it. And I was also trying to write my own songs. I had this studio at whenever I wanted it. If it wasn't booked, there were three studios in there. So as long as I had an engineer, we could record our own tunes. So, and at, you know, so we had all that freedom. All we had to do is our job, which was answer the phone and make coffee for the clients and we could be recording. And, you know, on top of it, Bob Solomon, the owner had a publishing company and he kind of groomed us as session musicians. He used us because we were free labor, right. you know? but, but we were like, this is the best job in the world, you know, free studio when we want to use it. Uh, we get to play for a guy who's paying us to answer phones. It was awesome, you know, but I didn't know what it looked like because, you know, I did a whole record of my own back then, but I didn't get behind it, you know, so, right. You know, that's that's sitting in the archives forever. <laughs> Maybe they'll get pulled out at some point. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and so I read one of the first times that you felt this was sort of moving into a career was when you were playing with Millard Powers, who is now the bassist for Counting Crows. Now, during that time, was that session work or was that more live that you were playing with him? It was live, um, but, you know, he had this thing. Everybody knew Millard, and Millard was a big deal to all of us, even though he wasn't hugely successful yet. Uh, but, man, I felt so honored to play with him, and I just – something about that gig really just made me feel confident and like I was getting somewhere. And that confidence – how important is that, especially when you become a session player, when you're going in there and these guys are trusting that they're going to hand you music and you're going to know what to do with it. So yeah. in those first few years in Nashville, did you have that confidence because you had been playing for so long or did it take some time to sort of build that up within that session environment? You know, that's a, that's a really great question because I think I was so excited when somebody asked me to play, I didn't realize I needed confidence. And it wasn't till years later that I went, wait, am I good enough? Right. And I'd already been doing it for people. So all of a sudden it was, yeah, it, first it starts like, yes, 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 yes. I'm in the door. I'm doing this. This rocks. Then you go, wait a minute. Wait, can I wait? Why am I here? Right. <laughs> so I'm like trying to get that confidence now later in life. It's so weird, you know? Yeah, it's almost like the imposter syndrome hits, right? And yes, you, yeah, the exactly. switch hits like, what am I doing? Exactly. And I've heard this quote, uh, bass player Mike Brignadello told it to me, but he told me it wasn't his. I can't remember who said it. But the secret of the, the, of the room full of the best musicians in the world is every one of them thinks they're the worst musician in the world. You know, so, which is not true. I know some guys that that is not true for. <laughs> right. But for a lot of us, it is, you know. That's hilarious. And so Big Kenny, working with Big Kenny of uh, Big and Rich was 
sort of the big break towards what yeah. is happening now. And you had a band with him and you guys played and it rolled from there. But I wanted to talk about sort of when that ended and Big and Rich formed and they came to you and they said, we want you to play guitar on our albums. And you said to them, I don't play country. And they said, we don't care. We want you to play the way you play. And yeah. so it's marked as sort of when rock started to move into country. And a lot of people sort of point to you as one of those pillars of when country started to move into the rock realm. And so I wanted to ask you about that and how that makes you feel about people yeah. saying that and sort of crediting you as one of these people who helped to shift the genre. Cause that's a pretty big deal. Well, I, I feel it makes me feel great. You know, I, I, I like to say I got tricked into playing country music, you know um, but yeah, God, to know that there's people out there that, that grew up listening to me and excuse me, <clears throat> I'm getting all choked up. Um, but you know, people that I influenced that, that really pulled that out of it and, and liked that rock element I brought. That's it, awesome. It's awesome. When, you know, when, as a sideman, you don't get all the, the grats, the, the singers and the artists get, but when, when you get that message or that slap on the back from somebody you've inspired, it, it's, it's priceless. And was there ever a time sort of throughout that time with Big and Rich and then moving into the Aldine time that you doubted moving into the country lane and sort of fought it a bit? Like, what am I doing? I should be doing rock. I want to be a rock star. No, not, not as a guitar player. It, it didn't bother. It didn't. There wasn't any stigma to me playing guitar uh, for a genre that I necessarily might not have a vocal voice in. You know, um, I did have an opportunity to have a record deal with Jason as a duo. And that's when I was like, no, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a country artist. You know, I couldn't see myself being a country artist as a singer, you know. Um, so but as a guitar player, no, it, it didn't really didn't really occur to me. And now country has gotten so many different genres smushed into it. I'm actually like, wow, okay, this is what I wanted. I, I wanted to play just music. And to me, that's what it is. I think genre is more of a musical or, or a lyric, lyrical term. Right, yeah. So, you know, I might be playing on a country record and half the songs might not have a country lyric per se. You know, the, the trucks and the, the cutoff jeans and the boots and the, you know, that to me is country. But you take away those words and it's just music, you know. Right. And you talk about that duel with Aldine. I read about that and I didn't know if you were joking or not. What did that uh, look like? Uh, well, you know, I was in his showcase band as, as were his main guys right now. Yeah. And I was playing acoustic and singing background vocals. And um, yeah, it was after one of those showcases that I got a phone call saying, hey, we got a deal on the table for you and Jason as a as a duo right now, if you want to do it. And they gave me Jason's number and we talked and I had a band going that I really liked called Stroller at the time. And, and um, I was just like, man, I don't want to do it. And, and I'm, and in a way I'm glad I didn't because I, it, it may not have worked. Of course, John and Kenny and Big and Rich and Brooks and Dunn would have been our competition and we were much better looking than all of them. So <laughs> you know, we would have, we would have slayed them, you know? 
<laughs> That's hilarious. And what has it been like being with Jason throughout this entire journey? Like you say, being in his showcase band before he was, before anyone was paying attention and now going through what has it been 10 albums with him throughout this journey? What has that been like to see well, him grow? Been, it, it's been great. And kind of to go back to the other question, I'll tell you the one thing, one reason I regret not doing that that record deal is I see the camaraderie and brotherhood of that band. And, you know, until recently, I, had, I hadn't had that, you know, right. again. And I, I wish I was part of that. But uh, back to the, the new question, just the whole ride watching it is great. You know, I got a, a song cut on one of the records. It wasn't a single and watching his guys get songs cut and them grow and having a uh, record company with Jason and and all that stuff it's just great it's awesome and talk about session versus live playing because I've always found this very interesting within country music and just why it happens it, ha it has happened for so long but like for you you're a session player with Aldine, but not live, I believe. And then with Tim McGraw, you're live, but not session. And so why, why, I guess. When it comes to that, it's a matter of McGraw and his producer have a formula uh, that they're used to doing, you know, a certain group of guys, and it may, it may vary, um, but a certain way of doing it. And um, same with Jason. You know, interestingly enough, uh, he had there's there's a guy in his road band that was on the first record, but he hasn't been on any other record since. Oh, and okay. I don't know why it's just happened that way, you know, so it's just kind of it. Everything unfolds the way it's supposed to, you know, Knox, Michael Knox, um, God love him. Uh, Jason's producer, you know, he swears by using me and Kurt together, thankfully you know and that's the formula for the jason records and whereas you know with mcgraw his formula is the last few records is david levita one of our live guys you know and sometimes michael landau one of my favorite guitar players um sometimes other guys from nashville and you know there's three guys that have been in tim's band for 20 plus years that have only played on a couple records Oh, so wow. It's just different for every camp, you know, and, and it isn't a matter of if you're good enough there. Now, there are road musicians, I think, that n don't necessarily get how to operate in the studio. And sometimes it's just a personality thing. Sometimes it's the ability to come up with parts. They might be great at copying parts for live, but not as good at coming up with them. Is there a passion within the studio that gets lost when you're simply playing parts or when you're on stage playing the same things every night? Yeah, there can be. Absolutely. And you just have to find tricks to to fix that. You know, one of the one of the things that most caused a rebirth for me and my passion for studio work is doing my own records. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was recapturing my own passion so anytime i'm in the studio and and i might feel like i'm having one of those days where oh, i've played this song before blah, blah 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 my brain can go wait a minute this song means as much to the person behind that glass as mine does to me so it doesn't matter what i feel right now i need to do the best i can do and your own music that is going to be released later in January. You have your debut solo album uh, called All the Birds Sing. Now, I read that 2019 
this sort of began as you sort of getting into creation mode, but at what point did it click into being a solo project and actually turning into an album? Yeah, actually, you know what? Again, going back to the last question, I, I hit a major crossroads on a session one night in, in Nashville where I, I haven't really told anybody this, but um, or anybody in public, I, I couldn't even put my hands down on the guitar neck. I, and I felt like I had nothing to give. And I left. And oh, thankfully, really? it was working for somebody I knew. And it was just me and him. And I left thinking I would never do another recording session ever again. And I wrote a song called My Heart Don't Beat Like It Used to Be, which made me go, OK, I'm starting a record. That's what I need to do. I had to, and I already had two songs from the new record. Um, ironically, My Heart Don't Beat did not make the cut for the record. My producer, Katie, my wife said, it's just not as good as the rest. I'm like, all right, but it was the catalyst, you know, and, and I, that's what launched it, man. And, but since I started working on it, all the other stuff, I, I never looked back. Playing sessions again, it's great. And, you know, you do it, it you do anything for a long time, you're going to run into a wall. Right. Yeah. Eventually, you know, so. And on the writing side, as life got busy and you started doing this session stuff, what has songwriting looked like for you over the last few years and heading into this project? Was it still a bit of a focus or did it take a backseat until you moved into this new project? Well, songwriting for other people and the, the Nashville game of songwriting kind of dwindled away from me. Uh, and I never fully chased it, even after my hit with Faith. Um, I, I just, I, I chased it a little bit. But again, I'm, you know, I had to write from more of a producer standpoint on that stuff. I'm not the guy that's going to spit out the country lyric. And I just finally, I just got to the spot where I went, you know what? I want to write what I love. I want to write what feels good for me in the moment. And I do a lot less of the Nashville writing now. And, and I'm cool with it. You know, if something breaks through and for some, you know, straight up the middle country artist, that's great. But I'm not chasing that. You know, I'm, I'm chasing what makes me happy. And that, that's all I want to chase now, you know? Yeah. And with the new album, I read that basically every song but one is pulling from personal inspiration within your life. And so when you were writing this, like how cathartic was it? How therapeutic was it? in writing it and pulling from all these personal areas. But then also when you release it, how sort of naked do you feel in yeah. allowing these emotions to come out to the world? Man, it, it was beyond therapeutic. I, I feel like a different person now that it's done. You know, it needed to happen for me. Um, and, and I really think it being so personal to me is, is part of the reason I'm able to stand behind it you know, um, and, and have the confidence to put it out because I know every word of it is true. And, and I also think there's a message in there for the people that listen somewhere in my lyrics, there's going to be something somebody's going to hear and go, Oh, you know, and it can help them. Cause it helped me. I didn't realize it was helping me until, you know, it was done. And I listened to the whole thing. I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> You know. And when you do listen to the whole thing, when it's done, you've obviously been neck deep in it the entire time. So it's not necessarily going to be surprising to you when you hear the finished product in its entirety. But 
when you're taking that first listen, are you sitting there with a critical mind or are you allowing yourself to just let go and just listen in a very calm state and not be that critical mind towards it? It takes a while to get rid of the critical mindset, um, but you have to, to be done with something. Right. You know, you know, a record's never done, you yeah. know, unless, unless you just can separate yourself. Um, and honestly, you know, I hadn't listened to it all in, you know, in line in, in a while. And I listened to it all again the other day for the first time completely not critical because I had to get some CDs printed up for just sending off to people. So I had one in my car. I'm like, I'll put it in. And it was the first time I'd really put it on the CD in my car. And I I just enjoyed it. And and it it was cool, you know, and what I didn't know until I was done with it is there's these interconnecting lyrics in all the songs. I didn't even know I was doing that, you know, and, um, Closing the the album with um, Norwegian Wood, the Beatles. Yeah, that was out of the blue that I recorded that, and it didn't strike me until I was coming up with the song order that the actual title of that song is Norwegian Wood. This bird is flown. I forgot about that part of the title. I'm like, wow, and and I had already chosen it for the last song. I had already made up my mind it was going to be the last song. Oh, okay. So here I am, all the birds sing with this bird is flown as the last title. It's just all, there's a cohesiveness, uh, cohesiveness uh, to the record that I, I didn't realize I was doing. And I'm really proud of that, you know, and I owe Katie, Katie that and Steve who mixed it. Um, and my friend, Mike, who mixed one, one of the songs too. They really made it come together. For That's sure. awesome. And you played basically every instrument on the album. You brought in some help on the strings and then some of the tracks that you wanted a certain sound on the drums. You brought in some drummers, but for the most part, you're playing everything. And so what was that like in the creation of this, of being just fully immersed in everything? Uh, it was great. You know, I don't know if I'd do it again, um, but but I loved it. And And there were several times I'd say to Katie, I just need to hire a band and retract us. And she'd say, no, 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 no. Because we had done a Suncat record where we had done most of it like that, where I just, I did all the tracks, including fake drums. And then we just added real drums from a drummer. Afterwards. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so she fell in love with how I built tracks and, and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty Pretty interesting. And and I feel I'm really proud of myself. There's two tunes on there that are completely the ones that are totally me are uh, lose to win and pave those highways. And I'm proud of when I listen to them, I go, wow, that that's all me. That's pretty cool. And so how many instruments do you play? Um, I play bass. I play little drums um, when it's an easy groove. One one that I don't have to fix in Pro Tools. Right. Um, And keyboards, bass. You know, I used to play trumpet. I could probably squeak out something on a horn if I had to. Um, you know, I just, whatever, man. I play like a producer on most stuff, but, you know, guitar, guitar is my main thing. That's awesome. And one thing you don't play is a dryer, a clothes dryer, but yeah. it is a instrument sound that is on the album. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, well, it was, uh, it, the sky is falling down. Um the co-writer uh, Dino Brown, my buddy, he's in the McGraw band with me. He came over and he's like, man, this is my 
dryer this morning. It was like, okay. And I instantly started the guitar riff came to me for skies falling down. And, and we actually tried to use the loop in the song. I couldn't get it lined right up, right. But it totally inspired the song. It totally <laughs> started that song. That's awesome. I thought it was actually in the song, but <laughs> no, I tried, I tried, but you know, there's an emulation of that groove on the hand drum and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. But ironically, two days ago, I was sitting in my kitchen working on my laptop and I heard the dishwasher making a loop and I sent it to him. I haven't heard a reply yet, though. <laughs> that's hilarious. And her song, I wanted to talk about that because that's one that inspiration came to you while you were on an airplane and you didn't have any sort of instruments or any sort of anything to write a song but you basically wrote it on a napkin, right? Like, how does that work within your mind when you're well, hearing I, it? Yeah, when I, I heard I heard the melody, um, you know, and you get to a point, you do this long enough, you, you can, you know, the intervals of what you're hearing in your head. And I wrote down what the notes were and I'm, I don't have perfect pitch. So I didn't know I started on a C or, you know, right. but I knew the distance between the notes, the intervals, as they say. Um, and I knew the rhythm that I heard the melody. So I wrote down the words and I wrote down the, the rhythm and, and the melody. And as soon as I got to a guitar, I, I spit it out, you know? Does that ever end within your mind? Like, is it always sort of triggering in that musical way of searching for lyrics and music and, and that sort of thing? Or are you able to sort of turn it on when you want to and turn it off? I can't always turn it on when I want to. Um, and I never know when it's going to turn off. It is pretty frustrating. Uh, but it's, it's always exciting when it happens, no matter what way it happens. You know, and I, I live for it, you know. Um, going out on the road with I, I can't wait to go out on the road again this year because I just know one of the reasons is as soon as I have motion my brain just starts start grabbing stuff you know and you, you start hearing things from other people's lives and friends lives you're hanging on the bus with people you meet you know random people you know it's just like you see somebody on the street whatever there's just so much inspiration out there waiting you know. And so as far as this new solo album goes for you and moving into uh, 2022 and then beyond, what does that look like for you in being a solo artist and then also being a musician for others? How are you planning on sort of balancing that? Well, uh, it's I'm just going to juggle it, man. You know, um, I'm working on a plan right now to figure out how I can weave it all together. Um, I'd, I'd like to be doing a lot of my own shows at the end of this year um, when we're done doing the McGraw tour, it'd be nice. And I may be doing some stuff out, you know, taking advantage of where we're placed in the country with McGraw and I might, might hop on some stuff out there too. So all in the works right now. I'd love, I'd love to keep doing it. I, I love singing on stage. It's so much fun. And know. talk about that because I know that heading into this album and I mean, heading into digital brains and Suncat it was something that you were moving back into more of a lead role for the first time in a lot of years. And so what has it been like, especially moving into this album of jumping up on stage on your own and being the focus this time, as opposed to just someone out off to the side? 
you know, it's it's great. Um, and I think what I lacked years ago when I was younger is that confidence and doing brains and doing Suncat and working up to the, this music was just building that and building that. And even there still was a little hurdle of confidence to do this because it wasn't brains. It wasn't Suncat with Katie right next to me. You know, it's my songs, my my voice, you know, and I did that show. I said, you know, to kind of experiment with what I could get away with minimalistic, you know, musicians on stage. Right. And also to see if it felt right to play these songs live for me. Right. And man, I got into the middle of song two and I was like, yeah, this feels right. You know, and it was one of the smallest clubs in Nashville. You can't even buy liquor there. And um, there it was friends and family. There weren't many people there. I didn't put much of a word out because I was experimenting and man, it felt great. I felt like a rock star, you know, so you don't have to be, be a rock star to feel like one. Yeah, exactly. And those small venues, I just wanted to ask you about those because there's the exit in and then there's also the basement nashville that i saw a video on your instagram of i think it's the bathroom with just stickers everywhere um so what do those venues mean i mean you have these huge shows with like mcgraw that are obviously awesome but when it comes to these smaller venues that have so much history to them what do those mean to an artist like yourself to be able to play those oh it's awesome it's awesome It, it i can't boy you think of all the people that have been through there, you know, and being, being that close to the people that are listening, you know, being able to hear a pin drop when you're not playing, being able to hear the silence of the room or, you know, you're testing your songs here when people aren't listening, they're just talking and they don't even give a crap about what you're doing. You know, all that, you know, um, but mostly that history of clubs is, is pretty great. And you take the basement, our buddy Grimy that, that owns that place. He's, he's, he's a troubadour for this town, man. He, he needs to have a statue, you know, for what he's done for local music and the accident has been there forever and the, their new owners have done great things. And, and uh, it's God, when I was a kid, I drooled about thinking about playing accident, you know, so they're great places. And the end, the end is a place that brains played a lot. Right. Love that place. In fact, we got our, our written logo because the, a friend of the owner would write the names of all the bands. And I think they're still there. All the bands that have played there. She wrote the names. And one day I saw her writing our name on there. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I took a picture and we wanted a logo that just looked like it was handwritten. So right. we just took that and, you know, so it's cool, man. I love playing clubs. And I guess that's one of the great things about this new project is it allows you to do that, right? Yeah, totally. And I, I would love nothing more than to, to go and play a bunch of clubs, you know, maybe open for a, a medium level act and just be an unknown opener and play clubs across the country. It'll be so much fun. I'll go broke. I don't care. You know, that's awesome. I think that's great because just when you said that it kind of popped into my mind, like you're this amazing sort of fixture in the Nashville music scene. We talked about your influence being one of the reasons we have a rock sound in country, but then you just say to me, I would love to just go and be a nobody playing on stage. You're not going out there saying, look at me, look at what I've done in the past. I'm going to headline this. I'm going to headline that. 
your your ego is not getting in the way of this music and i think that's amazing well well thanks well i feel like i gotta earn it you know i i don't i don't feel like anybody should give me anything you know i, I just i want to go play and and i want to i want i want to i want that excitement of having people come up to me afterwards and, and say who are you where are you from you know that that's what it was about when you're young and you're a kid it's like that excitement when somebody likes what you do just and it, it's it is a little bit of an ego thing but i i like that that low level part of it that that first couple steps you know right you know, there's nothing like connecting to somebody in an audience it's amazing you know and when, and when it's your words and your if it's something that does something to them or means something to them that's just great Thank you once again for listening and thank you to Adam for stopping by and sharing his story. Please be sure to check out his debut album, All the Birds Sing. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes. You can learn more about the podcast and you can sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all the exciting episodes we have coming up in the future. Thanks once again so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music